Hi, my name is Larry Smith. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life Philly. I'm so excited to hear what God is doing through our current sermon series on emotionally healthy spirituality. In today's sermon, we'll be turning the corner from dealing with issues of emotional health to dealing with contemplative spirituality. What that means is building regular rhythms into our lives of stopping to be with God in order to drink in His love and His power so that you can live a life of integrity and impact for the Lord Jesus Christ. Enjoy today's sermon. Well, we're here to get into the Word of God, so let me pray as we start our time together. Father God, um, you are good and you are gracious and you invite us, Lord God, into a deep relationship with yourself to know you, to have confidence in you, to walk with you. God, I pray that, the, that you will use the coming moments as a time for us to learn and to connect even more with you. Use this time for your glory and the good of your church. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me start out today a little bit differently. I'm going to start out with a question. And if you know the answer to this question, I want you to raise your hand. But do not, under any circumstances, shout out the answer to the question. If you know it, raise your hand. And I'm going to call on someone. And if they get the right answer, they will win a prize. Amen? If you, if you get it wrong, you won't be shamed. There is no public shaming happening here. But if I call on you and you get it right, you win a prize. I have a couple prizes here today. So this will be the first prize of the day. Um, so here's the question. Don't shout out anything. How many commandments are in the ten? What? Your hand's up. I haven't asked the question yet, bro. Okay. All right. Here we go. Hand down. Okay. How many questions, how many commandments are in the Ten Commandments? Raise your hand if you know. I, I see that hand right over there. Brother, you, you had, no, no, at the end, you had your hand up early, but you got it on right. How many, yeah. In the Ten, I'm, a, I'm not giving away any hints. How many commandments are in the Ten Commandments? We, we need an answer. This is on tape, yo. Okay, how many? Uh, okay, right here, brother. Ten commandments in the Ten Commandments. Amen. Very good. Very good. We're gonna we're gonna bone up on that Bible trivia a little bit. People, most Christians, and many people who aren't Christians have a great deal of reverence for the Ten Commandments. And most people look at the Ten Commandments and say, yeah, that's really important. Yep, got to do that. Oh, don't do that. Yes, do that. But there is one commandment in the Ten Commandments that I would dare to say that most Christians even pride themselves on breaking. You're like, what? I hope it's not fill in the blank. 
What is the one commandment that Christians often break and feel great about it? And it's the fourth commandment, the commandment to keep the Sabbath. We, we brag about it because if we're so busy and if we've got so much to do, it means that I'm important, I'm on task, I'm about what I should be about. And, and if I really have time, and we'll talk about what Sabbath is a little later today, but if I really have time to do that, then, then maybe I'm not as important as I think I am. People who've got a lot going on and who are busy all the time and don't have time to take 24 hours out to do what? To do nothing. They're not busy and they're not as important as someone else. But today, we're going to look at uncluttering our lives a little bit to know how to rest and stop and be with the living God. Today, we're continuing in our series on emotionally healthy spirituality, but we're, we're making a shift from where we've been the last few weeks of really dealing with emotional health. And now we're going to begin to talk about contemplative spirituality. Contemplative spirituality. That's a big little phrase there, but all it means is drawing away to be with God, practicing things that Christians and, and Jews before us have been doing for thousands of years to learn to be with God on a consistent basis. It's cool for us to talk about abiding in Christ. We like to talk that language, but what does that really mean? In particular, here's what we've got to figure out. What does that mean for us? In this room, as 21st century, urban, American, Northeast Corridor, 24-7 Wi-Fi connected Christians. What does it mean to slow down and be with God? Brothers and sisters, I'm naming this message, Escape from Babeldelphia. We live in Babeldelphia. Somebody's saying, Pastor Larry, what in the world are you talking about? Thank you for asking that question. In the Bible, Babel or Babylon is a place from the book of Genesis through the book of Revelation that signifies a way of thinking, it signifies a way of living, it signifies a way of being that is opposed to trusting in the God who is revealed in the scripture. Babylon forsakes the triune God, but constantly produces... Alternative gods, gods that are shiny, gods that make us feel good about ourselves, gods that impress others, gods that give us comfort. There's only one problem with all of that. They're all false gods, which consistently deny the one true and living God. And so I'm talking about this idea, escape from Babeldelphia. I use that because... There are elements of Babylon that are all in our culture here that, that draw us away from God. But there are specific things in our context in Philadelphia. I've lived here for 30 years. I love Philadelphia. How many people love Philadelphia? Amen. I love Philadelphia. But how many of you notice there's a little mess going on in Philly too? Amen. There's a little bit of mess and, and, and there's a busyness and there is a got to get it done right now. Uh, a pressure that we have as 21st century 
Western American Christians, but particularly in this northeastern corridor, particularly in a city like Philly where things move fast. I grew up in the south, y'all. People walk down the street and they say, hey, and they just keep walking. When I do that in Philly, I say, hey, somebody, what are you talking about, man? What, what are you trying to pull, right? Hey is not something you do in Philly. We're fast. We're about it. We're moving. Today, I've got one major point, and that is this. It is impossible to grow deeply in Christ without having rhythms in your life to stop and be with Christ. Amen? Impossible to, to grow deeply in Him if we're rushing and moving to the next thing, and we don't know how to stop and get off of this train and spend time with the living God. I want to look at a diagram that uh, Pete Scazzaro has in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Some of y'all saw that diagram a few weeks ago and wanted to flip the page real fast. I don't like that diagram. In the diagram, uh, on the one side is our time of contemplation or being with God. Now, that's probably bigger than what it is in a lot of Christians' lives. It should be a little dot. That's my time to be with God. And then our life, our activity, what we do is this big balloon. All this stuff that we're doing for God, but we almost have no time or little time, comparatively almost no time, to be soaking in the presence of God. That is an issue for most Western Christians. When we attempt to serve the Lord without a consistent rhythm of stopping to be with Him, how many people know what a Chevy Suburban is? A Chevy Suburban. That is the SUV that's like the super big John SUV. Amen? The Chevy Suburban is the huge one. It gets, I don't know how many miles to the gallon, maybe five, seven, ten miles to the gallon, right? So you're not going to get too far. But it's, this is like, when we're, when we're doing that, this is like trying to take our Chevy Suburban. We've got an eighth of a tank of gas. And we're going to go from Philly to Miami without stopping. See how that works. Uh, you're going to run out of gas somewhere in Delaware if you make it to Delaware, right? So, so they're not going to reach that destination. But the same thing is true of most of our spiritual lives. We're running on fumes. We're too busy to stop along the way. And then we wonder why we're not making progress towards the destination. The great challenge for everyone who wants to live a life connected deeply to God is to actually learn how to stop. There's two primary ways that we stop. One, I'm going to emphasize today, is the rhythm of the daily office. And secondly, is God's invitation to Sabbath. Before I get into those two practices, I want to look a little bit at this Babylon or Babeldelphia that fills up our lives, and then look at God's new Jerusalem, which is his promise to us. If you know Jesus Christ and the pardon of your sins, one day you are going to have a Sabbath rest in the new Jerusalem where there's no more sun or moon because Christ is in the middle of all things, and we worship him, and he is the light to all of us. 
There's no temple. There's no church. There's no synagogue because God is right in the midst of it all. That's where we're heading as believers. But God wants us to taste it now. We're not going to taste it fully, but he wants us to get a good taste, a good swig of what it's like to live our lives in the presence of the living God. And so I want to look at this. The center of Babylon is self-exaltation. It's making much of yourself. In Revelation chapter 18, verse 7, the second part of that verse says, In her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen. I am not a widow. I will never mourn. There is a boasting in the Babylon or the Philadelphia or the Babeldelphia system that we, it is all about me, how much I am, how worthy I am, how good I am. And yet in the New Jerusalem, the center of everything is the Lord himself. No sun, no moon, no temple, because God is all in all. He's right there. Babylon is marked by a life devoted to luxury, a life devoted to pleasure. It's pictured in Revelation and in other places in the Bible as a life given to prostitution and adulteries. The idea is I am going to spend my life on what makes me feel good and what makes much of me. But the life in the New Jerusalem is a life devoted to love and to serving the Lord and reverence for him. Revelation 19.5. The future hope for Babylon, if you're living in the Babylon system, your future hope, whether you know it or not, is a funeral that ends in eternal separation from God. He lays it out in Revelation 18 and 19. The end, the smoke goes up, the Bible says, forever and ever for those who refused to follow the Lord and went the way of Babylon. That is the future hope. Not a very good one, but the future hope in the New Jerusalem, is a wedding. The wedding supper of the Lamb and His bride. And there is an eternal, unbreakable, intimate union with God that we will enjoy Him forever. That is the end in the New Jerusalem way of life. Here's the invitation. In Babylon, the invitation is the glory in your luxury. Glory in just how great your life is. The other day I was reading through the book of Luke. I came across in chapter 6. It's not on the board, but in Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 24, Jesus pronounces woes. And he says, but woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your comfort." Verse 25, woe to you who are well fed now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. When I looked at that, I said to myself, if I look at all those woes, I can easily build my life around each one of those things. I've never had a goal to be a rich man. But boy, do I like to be comfortable. Somebody probably can say amen to that. Comfortable and not having to worry about what I spend, worry about what I do. I just know we got it like that. I was as woe to you who are rich. I like to eat. 
somebody ought to tell the truth and shame the devil right now. I like to eat. I like to eat a lot of food. I like to eat good food, and I like to eat a lot of food. But the Bible says, woe to you who are well-fed now. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't eat or enjoy food. It doesn't mean we shouldn't delight in the good things that God gives us. It means that we do not build our lives around these things, and it means that we're able to sacrifice and willing to sacrifice even good things in order to serve the Lord. That's what it means. The invitation... In Babylon, it's the glory in your present luxuries. The invitation for New Jerusalem living is to come out of her. It says in Revelation 18, 4, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins. God is calling us to come out. We are to be a distinct people marked by our time in the presence of the Lord. Coming to church on Sunday, reading the Bible every now and again, is not going to do it. Our situation is a dire situation. We need to depend on God more fully in our lives. And sometimes people feel like there's no way out. I'm just caught up. I'm caught up in this matrix. I'm caught up in this vortex. I'm caught up in this busyness. And there's no way I can find a way out. But there is a way out. Somebody needs to hear that today. There is a way out. And to be honest, if you want to grow deeply in Christ, you've got to take that way. There's no way to grow deeply in Christ and just keep running on in your life. It means nothing less than committing to a uniquely countercultural, countercultural, revolutionary paradigm in your living. That few people in our culture, and to be honest, few people in the church really take seriously. So here we go. The paradigm is building on the rhythms of daily office and Sabbath. So let's first go into daily office. Let's look at the rhythm of the daily office. A few scriptures to look at with that. First Psalm 119.64. The psalmist says, Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 20 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Many of you have been practicing being silent for two minutes, and sometimes it seems like two days if you're not used to times of silence. But this is it, it, what we're doing in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality is the training wheels of learning a life that that receives silence in order to hear from God. Amen? It's not about finding two minutes sometime, but can you put together five minutes? Can you put together an hour, two hours? Can you learn to still your heart and your life in such a way that you can hear from God? Psalm 131, verses 1 and 2, I just have the last part up there, but... From verse 1 it says, My heart is not proud, Lord, 
My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for, for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its, mo- with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. God is calling us to that calm and quiet place that gets out of the busyness of our lives. Daniel 6.10, verse says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open towards Jerusalem. And then he says this three, it says this three times a day. He got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So much more in the scriptures about this. This is not even uh, touching the surface of it. It is the pattern of living for Jesus himself when he's on the earth. The God-man stops, calms himself, and spends time with the Father. We see that in Luke 4.42, Luke 5.16, Luke 6.12. The early church, as most of you know, was an outlawed religion. Christianity was outlawed. And from time to time, over the first three centuries in the life of the church, there were outbreaks where there were persecutions of believers. Believers were often tortured. They were often imprisoned. And in different persecutions, they were put to death because of their belief in Jesus Christ. But in the 4th century, in the year 312, the Emperor Constantine became a believer. And I'm sure for many people now, the official stance of Rome was favorable towards Christianity. I'm sure for a lot of people, that was a hallelujah moment. Now the empire has been won over by this little religious sect that stayed true to Jesus, and there was great rejoicing about that reality. But what began to happen in time was not all good. As a matter of fact, there was a lot of of negativity to that. Christianity cozied up to political power. And brothers and sisters, whenever, if you do the next slide, whenever Christianity allies itself too closely with political power, it becomes ripe for compromise and loses its prophetic edge. We're not called to belong and and, and to simply fight in any political system, but we fight for the Lord Jesus Christ. We honor God with our lives. That's not going to fit in anywhere too well because of this secularization and cultural permissiveness arose in the church because of this that arose and christianity began to lose its distinctiveness let me put it this way holiness became old-fashioned it doesn't take all that everybody can be a christian you don't need to do much just this little minimum stuff and out of that secularization out of that uh 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 compromise that was going on a movement was born called monasticism now i'm not i'm not asking anyone here to become a monk amen and i'm not saying everything about the monastic movement was perfect or great it wasn't it isn't that's true for every moment movement in the history of the church but there are things that we can learn from those people who courageously said 
I cannot live as a Christian caught up in a system where being with Jesus doesn't mean much. And they went away from the city. They went away and and they began to live a life that centered their lives around Jesus Christ. And there are things that we can learn from those believers, not only from the third century or the Middle Ages, but even now. One such monastic person was St. Benedict, and he lived from 480 to 543, probably the most influential figure in terms of setting a rule of life where generations and even at this point millennia of Christians have learned to stop and be with God as a part of their regular rhythm of life. He developed something that has been called the rule of St. Benedict where his followers would stop eight times a day, whatever they were doing. When it was time to stop, they stopped to be with God because the idea is being with God is the most important thing that you'll ever do. It's hard for us to get that. So I want to talk about what we are talking about when we say daily office. And I want to contrast it with the idea of daily devotions. How many people have heard of daily devotions? How many people have ever done a daily devotion? You don't have to raise your hand, okay? So daily devotions are good. It's stopping usually in the morning to spend some time with God. It usually involves reading the Bible and prayer. People may do something else with that time. But it's good. It gets your, if you do it at the beginning of the day, it gets your day started right. The idea of daily office is not that devotions are bad. Because really devotions can be one time of a daily office. But the idea of daily office is more than just going to God to get stuff from Him, but it is stopping to be with God and be aware of His presence. And the the, the reality is that doing that once a day is not enough for you. And it's not enough for me. But when we begin a life where we're meditating on God, where we're in His presence and recognizing His presence and having a conscious awareness of God. Here's a spoiler alert. When you spend time with God like that on a regular basis, God begins to transform you from the inside. It happens. The last 12 years or so of my life, I've been working on this. And here's a shocker maybe for most of you. My growth has been very inconsistent at times. I haven't said, I'm going to start a daily office life, and my spiritual growth went like that. That's not what happened. Sometimes it's like this. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's up and down and in and out. But I'm going to tell you the reality that I can say confidently before you today in the presence of my wife. So if I can say it in the presence of my wife, It better be true or I'm in trouble after service. I live today, 12 years of trying to do this more and more, with a much more constant awareness of the presence of God than ever before. For me, the simple goal in life, making it a daily goal to be tethered to God and to an awareness of His presence 
has helped to transform me and is helping to transform me more and more. Let me give you one simple example of a way that I do this. There is a famous prayer that's been used for well over a thousand years called the Jesus Prayer. Some of you know that prayer. And so I have incorporated that into my life as a part of my spirituality. Put up the first one here. So the basic prayer is this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Has anyone heard that prayer before? Amen. So in some parts of Christianity, particularly in Eastern Orthodoxy, many people will repeat that over and over again. For me, I need to be very careful about anything becoming like a little magic saying for me. If I say this, then it's magic and I'll be transformed in the presence of God. It don't work that way for me. I doubt it works that way for any of you either. But I began to pray that, but began to see, that's great, but I need a little bit more than that. Put up the second one. Lord Jesus Christ, Savior of the world, strengthen me to walk with you today. See, the first part of this prayer, now I have a threefold way that I do it, but the first part gives me thanksgiving for the work that Jesus has done, having mercy on me, that I am justified by the finished work of Jesus Christ, and I look back on what he's done, and it is a prayer of thanksgiving and joy because of what he's already done. I have been justified. But the second part for me, maybe not for you, I need help every day. Maybe you don't. I need help every day to walk in a way that pleases God, to not get off track, to not fall into some egregious sin, because as much as I can look at someone else's sin and say, how could he, how could she ever do that, I realize more and more, as bad as I've ever seen out there, it's just as bad in here. And so I cry out, Lord Jesus Christ, Savior of the world, strengthen me to walk with you today. The third part is this, Lord Jesus Christ, King of glory, receive my worship. That recalls King of glory in Psalm 24 as we're asking God to come into the gates of the city. We're praising what God does. So I go through a justification in one, sanctification in two, and this third part for me is the idea of the glorification of worship becoming everything about everything King of glory, receive my worship. And realizing that worship is what my life is about. And so, often, several times in the day, I will stop and not just repeat these real quick, but I will think about each one of these. This is my Savior. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has had mercy on me. This is my Savior. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who can and will strengthen me. And this is my Savior. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is receiving my worship. You know what I realize about worship? Everything that I do is worship. Some of it is to the true God. But other times it's to idols. The way you live your life is worship. Now, I know this is not everybody's thing. I don't expect that everyone's going to do this. But 
tell me, is there anyone here who would be interested in taking a challenge to say, you know what, this coming week, I am going to stop and pray a prayer like this. Would anyone like to do that? Anyone at all? I see that hand in the back. That was the first hand I saw. So, Tim, can you bring that? Put your hand up. Was that Denise? That was Denise. Amen. So she got a book. The book I wrote a few years ago called Jesus Life. It's about centering your life on Jesus. Amen. So we want to do this. We want to grow in a way. And listen, the way you do daily office is going to be different. We sat in our group. For some people, it's finding a special place in their home. For some people, it may be uh, walking the dog and being out with your pet in nature. For some people, it's different things. The idea, though, is we all need to stop and be with God. And here is the challenge I would like everyone in this church to take up. I encourage every person to work towards having three times a day where you stop and recenter yourself on Jesus. Now, that can be two minutes. It could be something in the middle of your workday for two minutes. It could be 15 minutes or an hour of long, a longer devotional time. But stopping three times a day, that's my challenge. The last thing today is Sabbath, the ancient practice of Sabbath. Well, first of all, what is a Sabbath? Good question. The answer is this. Sabbath is a 24-hour period that happens once every seven days where you take time to stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. A 24-hour period of time that happens once every seven days. Why is a year a year? Most of you know, because that's the time it takes the earth to revolve around the sun. Why is a month a month? Most of you know that's basically the, the lunar cycle. That's how long it takes the moon to go through its cycle. Why is a week a week? There is no planet. There is no moon to tell us why that is. A week is a week because God says so. Because on the seventh day, God said, look what I've done to us. It's very good. And he rested. That's why a week is a week, because God said so. So it's a time to stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. It comes from Exodus 20, 8 through 10, and it's longer than that. But that part says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Sabbath, by its, by its very nature, takes intense preparation if we're going to do it well or consistently. It means getting chores done. It means getting other things done so that you can press into resting. Now, even more than getting things done, though, let me put it this way, because things don't ever get done. It is making a commitment to stop when they're not done. Amen? It's complicated. It's hard. But it is God's invitation to his people. Sabbath should not be looked at legalistically. Just the way I said people will do uh, daily office differently, will also do Sabbath differently. But it should include those elements of stopping, resting, delighting, and contemplating. It shouldn't be taken lightly or legalistically, but it should be taken seriously. So let me just talk about 
Let me give an example of this. Hopefully get you to connect with what I'm talking about with Sabbath. Now, I notice there are a few women in this room today. And uh, makeup is something that many women enjoy. You don't have to raise your hand on any of these things. Some people like makeup. If you do like makeup, I want you to, to, to really clue into this. If you don't like makeup or if you're a dude, I still want you to be clued in. So imagine that there is an offer that says, we are going to give you a lifetime supply of whatever makeup, the best makeup in the world that you could ever dream of or want. And you have a lifetime supply of it. You can use it all the time as much as you want for as long as you want. Some people will get happy. Would somebody be happy? I think somebody would be happy with that offer. Now, but here's the catch, the catch of the offer. You can use all the makeup you want as long as you want, but you can never use a mirror when you apply it. And not only can you not use a mirror, but the rule is you can't look in a mirror after you've applied it all day long, all night long, until the end of the day when you're going to take it off. I am guessing that most people would not take up that offer because you don't know what you look like. Listen, in many ways, that is what our spiritual lives are like when we don't stop to reflect on God. You see, when, when you look in that mirror, that reflection, you know, I've got just enough of this blush on. Wow, how do I know all this stuff, right? I've got just enough, and, and I'm putting the mascara on my, what is it, on eye, eyebrows, eyelids. One of those eye things. I'm putting the mascara on the right thing. I'm not putting mascara on my lips. I'm not doing this. My, my stuff isn't going over here. You know what you look like, and it's together because you're reflecting in the mirror. And many times we go through our Christian lives without reflecting on God enough. And then we wonder why my life is so out of order. It's so off kilter. I'm so overwhelmed. We haven't stopped to look in the mirror and reflect upon our God. My wife and I have been doing this for 12 years as well. Sabbath, and I would love to tell you that we've just got it so down. It's perfect. Our Sabbath time is banging every week. We just nail it, and Sabbath is great. But if I told you that, I'd lie, and that would be bad. So I'm not going to tell you that. But I will tell you that as hard as it is, and as hard as it has been, we have gotten better at Sabbath. And we recognize and realize things that we can do and can't do on Sabbath. And even those things will be different for different people. For me, when I am Sabbathing, I do not mow the lawn. Because for me, mowing the lawn is a chore. Now, I have a Philadelphia lawn. It goes from here to Jim. That's how far my, my, my lawn is. But I can't mow the lawn on Sabbath because that's, that's work for me. But I can do all kinds of other things in my yard. I can plant things, I can cultivate things, I can do all that, because to me that is a delight. It's not work. It's not work. And so you look at what you can do on Sabbath. My wife and I, we love to work out, we love to read books, we love to visit family and friends, we love to do absolutely nothing on Sabbath. Some people get mad at me because they sent me an email on Friday, and I Sabbath usually from Friday afternoon to Saturday afternoon, and I may not look at that thing till Monday. 
But I don't look at email on Sabbath. I don't do social media on Sabbath. I cut some things off to slow down, stop, rest, contemplate with God. All these things on the Sabbath. So let me go quickly as I get ready to close. Four practical things on the Sabbath. Practicing Sabbath is a practical manifestation of our faith in God. So look at four benefits of Sabbath. Number one. Sabbath is realizing what it means to be dependent on God and not on ourselves. This means living like the Christian life is based on grace and not works. It's actually living that value out. Number two, it is retreating from the system of the world and getting a taste of the glory of the world to come. To to set it aside, to stop it, to not be part of it, to retreat from those things and drink in the love and the glory of our God. Number three, it's reorienting our lives to a Christ-centered life. It is a visible, physical manifestation of saying Jesus is the center of my life. And fourthly, it is re-energizing our minds, our bodies, and our spirits so that we can engage in the work of God with power and with effectiveness. We recharge everything when we Sabbath. Let me go back to my first idea of today, the main idea. It's impossible to grow deeply in Christ without having rhythms in your life to stop and be with Christ. Do you see that? Do you understand it? Most of us will say yes. Here's the question that's more important. Will you do it? Will you obey God in this? Peter Scazzaro puts it this way. He says, failure to stop and trust God, the essence of daily office and Sabbath, listen to this, is the essence of the sin in the Garden of Eden. And it's the essence of sin in our lives as well. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on a cross to save us from our sins. He was raised on the third day for our justification. When Jesus died on that cross, The Bible says that the veil of the temple was torn in two. What that means is where there was something between you and God before, now there's nothing between you and entering into the manifest presence of the living God. He's right there. And he's inviting you in. If the cross and the resurrection wasn't enough, on the day of Pentecost, Jesus and the Father sent forth the Holy Spirit, poured out the Spirit on men, on women, on young and on old, on every believer. The Holy Spirit rests in the hearts of believers. He's with you. He invites us in to experience Him. But you need to stop. But I need to stop. Not once in a while, but all. Experience the goodness and the wonder of the God who will strengthen us 
in this world. Let me pray. Father God, thank you today that you are worthy of glory, honor, and praise. And you are surely worthy of us building our lives around being with you. Lord, if our hope is that one day we'll be with you forever, and we say that's our glorious hope, then, Lord, I pray that our practice will be stopping to be with you consistently every day. Lord, I know for many people this is hard. Life is busy. People working multiple jobs, people with young children. Lord, there are all kinds of situations, jobs that just really demand a lot from us. School and all the other things, sports that young people are into and and other clubs that they're into. Lord, our lives are busy and crazy. But God, call us and help us to receive from you that your life might be glorified in and through us. Pray it in Jesus' name.